You can check that on your card. You can talk to any of the leaders. You can talk to me. Just let us know. We'd love to walk you through what that means and how to do that. Uh, one of the ways that we introduce that is a lot of times in a class called Gathering with Grace. And so we'll have that class often. We also offer it online. It's one of the ways you can know how to connect to God's family. So we're going to continue a series that we started pretty cool series uh, that we've been doing. It's called Rebuild. You have some notes inside here that'll help you take uh, along your notes. And let me catch you up in case you're just joining us. So we decided to do this series called Rebuild based on what we were seeing inside the culture and the communities and the towns around us. And as we looked at people and their lives and we asked just certain questions, what we found is that people generally in this world feel overwhelmed. It's quite often that we hear that from different people. We hear it in different ways. Some people say the demands of work combined with inflation and family, kids being crazy, and just the hobbies that they're keeping and just managing all of that makes them feel like their nose is just barely above water. And at any moment, one more thing added, they'll sink. And so as we looked at that, what we realized was you can't just tweak your way out of that. You can't just make a tweak here and a tweak there and everything comes out okay. Sometimes in your life, you've kind of just got to sweep everything off and start fresh and new, set the right foundation, and rebuild from there. In fact, one of the folks that we asked about this, Busy Mom, said this. I want to read this to you again. I think it's so important. It sets the tone of why we want to do a series like this. She said, I feel like most families feel like they're stuck treading water and trying to accomplish everything. Success at work, at home, at church, for their kids, in sports, and academics. But while they're doing this and trying to accomplish everything, they're not doing anything well. In fact, they're left feeling burnout and exhausted all the time. And so when we hear things like that from people that are right in the midst of raising kids and in family, we hear that from people in other areas of life, we're like, it's time to look at how to rebuild your life. So the very first week, what we talked about was that when you look at the person of Jesus, he had this amazing statement where he said, look, there's a whole bunch of you that feel this way back then. And there's this burden you feel, he uses the words, heavy laden. And because of that, as you're kind of doing life and you're rowing that hoe, you just feel overwhelmed. And he says, look, take my teaching on you because my teaching's not like that. Doesn't mean life doesn't get hard. Doesn't mean it doesn't get stressful, but when you're operating within Jesus' teaching on a specific topic, that heavy ladenness and the burden ceases. In fact, you find that he works with you and alongside of you in a whole new way. And that was the first week we need to set that tone that he's the one that we're looking to for this kind of wisdom. And then week two, you heard about prayer as a foundational component. In fact, I love how Pastor Danny said, look, if Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the foundation is laid from there, then we need a good subfloor. That's that construction background, right? He said, prayer is the subfloor by which that we build upon. And he challenged us to deepen our prayer life so that when we begin to think about our lives and the busyness of them and our finances, that we're coming to God going, okay, God, what do you want to speak into my life? How can I engage my prayer life to really see what you're doing. And so this week, we're going to talk about focus and how it's integral to the actual component of rebuilding your life. We've, we've kind of named this message Focal Point, just to kind of give it something. But we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. You can look that up in your Bible, on the app. Um, there's Bibles in front of you if you want to use those. Those are NIV. And we're just going to look at Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Now, while you're finding that and looking that up, I want to give you some context on this. 
So this story you're about to read, a lot of people have heard. You may not have heard it, but a lot of people have heard this story. It's a story about walking on water. It, 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 you hear this all the time in different movies and different things. This, this, this story infiltrates all kinds of aspects of our culture. Anybody see the movie Tombstone? Oh, there we go. They can read it too. That's an IV. And recognize the voice on that Bible app. Anybody seen the movie Tombstone? No Western fans here? Okay, some of you have. Remember when the moment where uh, Wyatt Earp gets shot at and doesn't get hit by a round, and they ask him where he is? He says he's down on, on the creek bed walking on water. See, if, so this idea that you're about to read about has infiltrated all kinds of different aspects of culture, including movies. But what I don't think people understand when they look at this is that each of the characters involved in this story had a certain focus. And their focus will form their faith. You're going to see different types of people in this story when we read it. And the focus of their lives and where they're headed, where they put their energy, will tell you a lot about their faith. And you're also going to see in this story that their faith has the ability to reshape and reform their focus. It's an interesting way that the story plays out. So if you've got it, you've got a bookmark, we're going to read through it. Matthew 14, 22 through 33, we'll put it on the screen too. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land buffeted by the waves and because of the wind that was against it. During the fourth watch, which is about 3 to 6 a.m. of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. That's a repeated phrase by Jesus, by the way. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is such an interesting story. Let me give you a couple of things about it. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. Um, it appears also in uh, the Gospel of Mark. It also appears in the Gospel of John, which is a very different gospel. But it does not appear in the Gospel of Luke. That's an interesting just kind of fact if you're a factoid kind of Bible person. It also is nuanced. It's a little bit different in each of the Gospels. But I, the reason I picked Matthew was, I think Matthew has, you know, because you know what Matthew was, right? Anybody know what he did for a living? Yeah, he was the accountant, okay? Sorry if you're an accountant, but you all are like anal people. Like, like you cross every T, you dot every I, everything has to be a very specific way. And so I think when we look at his account coming through his personality, what you get to see is he has certain details that are very important. And I think he shows us different perspectives you all know that um, accountants do magic math, right? It's a weird, random fact. You give five engineers a problem, you get the same answer back five times. 
You get five accountants, the same thing to do. You get five different answers back. You know what I'm saying? That's magic math, okay? So, but with that kind of magic math, you gain different perspective. So I think with Matthew, we get this interesting focal point. So here's the thing I want you to look at, that your focus forms your faith. That's how I want to kind of frame this text. I want to walk through it with you. Where you put your focus, where you put your attention, where you put your energy is going to shape your faith. So let's look at some of these people. It's interesting to me that in um, the NIV, it uses the word immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Um, In other translations, in other languages, this is a more forceful word. In fact, if it was like our daddy telling us to get in the boat, he'd say, get your butt, our dad probably wouldn't say the word butt, in the boat. That's the language used here in this text. It's that forceful. It's like, get in the boat. That's the kind of language here, okay? And you're like, man, why is that going on? And then you've got Jesus then dismissing the crowd. Now, who's the crowd? So give you the context. They had just fed 5,000 guys, not counting women and children. Now, think about that. Have you ever heard of this miracle? The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? They didn't have enough resources. All these folks show up. They all come complaining to Jesus. And they said, send them away so they can get some food in the surrounding town. And Jesus says, no, no, you feed them. And they're like, how's that going to happen? There's this whole cool miracle where Jesus multiplies everything out and everybody gets fed. And then in the Gospel of John, we learn these people were so enamored with what Jesus did. They're like, this guy's the bomb, right? He fed us. He had a miracle. He's doing all this cool stuff. He's got to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting on. Let's make him king now. And in John, it says they tried to take him by force. Yeah. So now I want you to picture this. I want you to picture you're there with your posse. You're there with your peeps. You're there with the people that are tight and close to you, okay? And you know that the crowd in front of you, and you're not armed, there's no concealed carry back in Jesus' day, okay? You're standing there, and all of a sudden these people are like, we're taking you by force, and we're making you our king. And Jesus' response is, get in the boat! I don't know about you, but they'd be like, get out in front, right? Like, get in front of me. Like, let's, it's about to go down. But he says, get in the boat. And then he dismisses them. I'm just blown away. My wife and I were talking about this. I'm like, how did he dismiss somewhere between probably 12 and 15,000 people? So this is a tense moment where focus is key. And you're going to see different focuses, both of the crowd, of the apostles, and of Jesus, that will show you something profound about faith. In fact, The crowd, let's deal with them first. The crowd was so focused on politics and so focused on their religious background and their traditions that they couldn't see what was truly happening in the moment. All they could see was, let's make him king. Plus, he gives us good stuff. That's the crowd. In fact, I think Jesus is, the text doesn't tell us, so this is something me assuming here, okay? I just want to make sure. I'm assuming when I read this text, and I'm looking at everything going on, <clears throat> that one of the reasons Jesus wanted him in the boat, because he had seen this happen with his apostles before, is he was concerned they were about to get swept up into the political movement of that moment. That they were going to miss what was really happening, and they were like, yeah, let's make him king. And he's like, no, get in the boat. 
And I think the other reason Jesus wanted them in the boat was they had just seen a miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people. And whenever you've seen a miracle, hopefully you've seen one. If you haven't seen one, I'm praying for you to see one because they happen still today, all the time. But when you see a miracle, there comes a moment where you look back on it, you go, I need to pause and reflect and think about what just happened and ask God, what are you trying to show me and teach me in that moment? I think Jesus wanted all those things for his apostles, for those that were closest to him, his disciples. They needed to discuss what we call in growth group, the very first thing we like people to discuss, they need to discuss the when, right? When you discuss the wins and you hear what God's doing in the lives of other people, you are encouraged, you're lifted up, and you reflect on those. And I think that's what Jesus wanted to happen with that group. But he was so concerned that their focus would get so shifted by the crowd because I believe the crowd was extremely consumeristic. How do I know that? Well, later in the text, they, get, they finally do get across the lake. You'll see that if you read on. And when they get across the lake, they track Jesus back down. And when they track him back down, he actually exposes the crowd. He says, y'all came back, paraphrase my, my paraphrase, y'all came back because you got your fill. You came back for more food. You came back for more to be dispensed to you. And he says, and then, then, he, then he does a rope-a-dope on him. He says, listen to me, that's not what this is all about. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my, you've got no part of this kingdom. And they're all flip out and leave. Now, why is this important? Their focus is framing their faith. Do you see it? All they can see is what is in it for me. That's the crowd. That's where they are. And because of that, they can't see the bigger, more beautiful, more wonderful things that are actually happening in this moment. Now, Jesus' focus that we hear all throughout the New Testament, he has a singular focus. Have you seen it yet? If you read the New Testament, from the moment he is born, he sets his feet and his attention toward the crucifixion. He sets his feet and his attention on, that's where I'm headed. My whole life is meant to be a ransom so that people's sins might be forgiven. Like he sets his feet and all of his attention, his very energy on it. You hear it over and over and over again throughout the entire New Testament. Even his own apostles get confused by this. They're like, no, no, surely not, Lord. We'll protect you. Yeah, get in the boat, okay? <laughs> he knows what's going on. And when you see this, you realize that it shapes his focus as well. And it shapes his faith. Now, how did Jesus dismiss, after he kicks them into the boat, how did he dismiss 10, about 12 to 15,000 people? I, I don't know. This is like going to be on the highlight reel in heaven. Like, I want to see that one. Like, show me. Because that's kind of cool. I'm trying to think, how does one person with no amplification, you know, dismiss that many people that we, we learn are going to take him by force to be the king? I have a feeling, um, and I don't know this, but this is my conjecture, that in the text, it tells us how. But before we get there, let me show you again how your focus forms your faith. Maybe you're new to the faith and you haven't learned how to focus yet certain attention. A buddy of mine um, working through things like this early in his life, he's a friend of mine that was a youth, youth evangelist. He actually would go into different uh, communities with students and he would share the good news, the gospel of who Jesus is. A uh, very famous guy. We used to hang out a lot uh, back forever ago, like 20 years ago. Anyway, he um, came from a pretty rough family who didn't always have the right focus, but sometimes they had the right heart. You ever meet a family member like that? 
And uh, he had this one uncle who was in prison when he gave his life to Jesus, when he had that born-again moment, when he finally came to the point he realized Jesus died for his sins, and he gave his heart to Jesus. So he gives his heart to Jesus, and his life is radically transformed. He's ready to begin a new journey. But he knows that part of being a Christian is you've got to share this good news. You've got to have that same singular focus that Jesus had, that it's all about the cross, Right? And so he's in the gym in prison, and he's hanging out, and anybody that gets near him, he starts telling them about Jesus, right? He's, I don't know a lot, but I know Jesus changed my life. He saved me. I can't wait to start this new journey. Life is good, right? And then he had another brother from a different faith background, I won't tell you which, so you won't get biased, who came up, who had a different opinion about Jesus. And he said, hey, um, I know he's telling you about Jesus being like Lord of everything, and he's the Savior of the world, but we just think he's a prophet. He's a good prophet. And this other brother who doesn't know the rules yet, and he's still learning how to, his prayer life and focus works, he says, hey, man, you better shut up. I'm telling this guy about Jesus, and if you keep interrupting me, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> and so he goes back to telling the guy about Jesus. This is a true story. And then the guy kept interrupting him. And about the second or third time, he literally hit this dude. I mean, clocked him and laid him out. The guy hits the floor, looks up at the dude and says, well, Jesus would have hit, not hit anybody, would he? He says, well, I ain't Jesus, am I? And so I tell you that <laughs> to tell you your focus many times will formulate your faith, whether it's an immature new faith or it's a faith that's maturing. When I look at Jesus and I wonder about this idea about his faith in the moment of the faith, I think the people on, in the crowd were very immature. But I think Jesus was the perfect mark of Maturity, right? So look at that next part of the text. He went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, why does the author add, when evening came, he was there alone? If he went up there by himself, doesn't it make sense? He's, why does the author add it? So in my mind, I don't know if this is true, but in my mind, this is the picture I get because there's another place in the New Testament where they try to stone Jesus. I don't know if you remember this one. And when they go to stone him, he just kind of walks on right through them and they don't do anything. I get in my mind, this is what Jesus did. He's like, y'all need to go home. And then he turns around and he walks up the mountain, farts up the mountain, and he starts praying. And there's a bunch of people standing there going, what's he doing? He ain't doing nothing. He's just praying. And I wonder how long they waited while Jesus prayed because we find out he prayed like a long, daggone time, like all the way into the first part of the morning. And then I think they split a little bit in a time because we see that pattern repeated in the New Testament. And the reason I think this is so important is last week we learned that Jesus prayed before and after almost every big thing that happened. That prayer was one of the things that formed his focus and drove him. But we asked the question, does it drive us? And you were asked last week, how's your prayer life? You were asked if you were here to turn to the person right next to you and get real on pray for them and with them. In fact, in that element of prayer, I just want to ask this question, not, not, to, not to draw you out, not to draw attention to you, but just make you think about what you were taught last week and did it matter. Has your prayer life from Sunday changed to this Sunday? And if it hasn't, I would say we need to be careful because I think we may be skirting more toward the, the crowd then we are Jesus. Because he uses prayer as a way of not only grounding himself, but grounding us. 
In fact, I wonder how different the story would have been. I know I'm injecting something here that's not there, but just, and it just go with me for a second. If anyone in that crowd of close to 15,000 people, if just one person or two had said, I don't know everything, but I know there's something about this guy, and I know that we want to make him king, but I'd rather know what his opinion is, what would have happened differently if they'd have gone up on the side of that mountain with him and said, I'll spend some time praying with Jesus. I don't know what this means, but I'll spend some time with him. I wonder how different their perspective would have been if they'd have been less, it's about what I get, and it's more about knowing this guy. How different their focus would have shifted their faith. One of my favorite things to do in my growth group, and I know it's said in group, stays in group. I got people in here right now in my group going, don't, don't you share what we did. Okay, so, I, but I want to share something with you that I enjoy about our group. Uh, we have an open prayer time. I don't know if you do this in your groups when you get together with people of faith. But one of the things that we do, we do share like, here's how to pray for us, here's how to pray for this, and we, we share those things. But then what I love in our group is that we say, now we're going to pray. I'm going to open. Susan's going to close. And the things you just listed, we believe that God wants you to speak those aloud to him. Like pray. Like talk to God. And it's difficult because some people are like, I don't pray out loud. That's kind of crazy. That's, I, you know, but I'm going to tell you right now, when we do this, I see the power of the Holy Spirit show up in ways that we could never fabricate or create. When I hear the hearts of God's people focused in that moment on who he is and what they're wrestling with, there's an interconnection in that moment. And in that moment, I feel like, wow, God is going to move. I have no doubt that God's going to move. He is going to move in heaven in some way because his people are getting real about prayer because their focus is shifting from what they need or get to what God wants to say and do. And when that happens, it changes our perspective on faith. So that's one of the things, that's something out of our group without sharing specifics. And if, I don't know if you do that in your group, but if you pray aloud in your group, I'm telling you, you will see God begin to move in a different way. So then you see in verse 24, it says, but the boat was already a considerable distance away from them. Um, John tells us about three to three and a half miles. That's a long distance, okay? Three, so kind of picture that in your head. Buffeted by the waves because the wind is against it. And during the fourth watch, three to six a.m., so Jesus has been praying a long, stinking time of the night, he goes out to them on the lake. Again, I want you to think about that. Your focus forms your faith. I believe what happened was the apostles got in the boat. They started to discuss the wind. How could you not? Look what we just did. Look what just happened. 5,000 people got fed. This was awesome. And then all of a sudden, the storms of life, boom, came on in. And I think they went from, what a cool miracle, to, oh, crap, this is happening. Ever felt that way? You have a mountaintop moment, and then, whoop, now it's over there. Jesus has never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's always showed up when he needed to. He always shows up at the right time. What if their focus would have solely been on Christ? How different would their focus have been about the storm? But it wasn't. Their focus was on the storm in which they were in. And church family, I can tell you, this is me at times. Life gets hard. It gets ugly. It gets nasty. And sometimes it's so easy to take my focus and put it so much on the trial and the issue that I forget that there's someone that can deal with every situation. Then in 26, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they're terrified. They can't even interpret it, right? They're like, it's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. They're flipped out, which is why Jesus shows up all the time saying, peace be to you. He says a lot all through the New Testament. 
But Jesus immediately says to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then only in this gospel, only in Matthew, do we get this beautiful moment where Peter sticks his foot in his mouth in a good way. He does it good and bad all throughout the New Testament. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out there. I mean, who else in the boat would have thought that, right? Are you that, I'm that person, I'm the dumb one like that. I'm like, that's pretty cool, let's do it, right? And the other one's like, you're an idiot, right? Now, you know, that, you can just kind of see the inner dialogue between the apostles. And he's like, come on out. And, he, and then Peter goes out the boat, he walks on the water. By the way, Peter's the only one other than Jesus that gets to experience water walking. I love it. John Ortberg says the other uh, apostles are boat potatoes. That's his, that's his term for him. They never even got out, right? They're boat potatoes. But Peter gets out there, but when he saw the wind, see the focus? His focus was on Jesus to begin with. And then when he gets focused on, on the wind and the storm and just the turmoil, he starts to sing. Whose power was putting him on the water to begin with? Was it Peter's? No, it was Christ's. As soon as he stopped focusing on Christ as the sole power and the sole focus, that's when he sank. And I love, though, that he had the wits about him to say, save me, Lord, save me. Like, right? And he reaches out. Jesus, in his mercy, reaches out. And he, and he brings up his faith. He brings up his faith. You doubted. His focus moved. I don't know about you, though. I'm going to tell you a crazy story. I don't know if you've ever done stuff like this. I do crazy things sometimes. I don't know if it's the ADD or things I did previous in my life that I wasn't supposed to do. But sometimes things come into my head, and I'm like, I remember when I first became a believer, and I, my faith was just growing. And I thought, well, it says here in the Bible, he's the same today. Some of you have done this. I can already see it, as he's been all the time. So I don't know if you've done this, but I filled the tub up, and I tried to walk on it. I did as a young man. Yeah, 17, I'm like, I can, I can do this. I can make this happen. I'll never forget that feeling. Y'all know what happened, right? <laughs> Yeah, it didn't work. At least I didn't fall and break anything, right? So I, it just, and I'm like, what's going on? I've got faith. I'm feeling like there should be solid ground here right now. And it wasn't happening. But I forgot, I'm not the one who was on the water to begin with, and I didn't ask the one that was on the water to call me to it. It comes back to focus. He wants you to walk on water. He'll ask you to walk on water. And if you respond in faith, guess what will happen? You will, without a doubt. But it can't be something you initiate. If you initiate, the focus is on, yeah, it's on me. Because I was thinking as a young Christian, wouldn't that be cool? They're giving me some bragging rights in the next Bible study. Guess what I did last night? <laughs> you got pictures? Nope. <laughs> but it's the focal point. And this is so applicable, though. Think of how this applies to our life, church family. What if right now you're in a storm? Because I think a lot of us are. What if it's your circumstances? What if it's your grief that you can't seem to move through? What if it's a real financial burden situation? These are real things. What if it's your health, your friend's health, your family's health? What if it's just your family? Because families, I don't know if you all figured this out, but families can be difficult to deal with, right? They can be, yeah, can't they? Can't spell families without lies. I love that line out of, <laughs> out of that movie. They can be some of the hardest things to deal with, especially with regard to our faith. But when our faith begins to shift, it'll determine our focus. Let me give you an example before I give you that point. So as a young Christian, again, after I failed at the water walking experiment, um, I was trying to get involved in the church, like many of you. I was just trying to get engaged so I could grow my faith. And I'll never forget, I was going to a very traditional church, and there's something in a traditional church called a prelude. Anybody ever heard of that? 
So prelude, pre, is the idea of, and nobody ever did the prelude right, actually, because I'm young and dumb. I asked, what's it for? So I'm like, what's this about? Right? Everybody else just kind of talked and then, you know, ate mints and passed notes. Okay. I'm like, is that what we're supposed to do during the prelude? And they're like, no, no, no. So I asked the guy who was the music director at the time. He says, the prelude is for you to prepare your heart to have a worship encounter with God. I'm like, oh. So I actually started during the prelude praying and just talking to God. And so I'll never forget, we were newlyweds. We hadn't been married that long. Brittany's on the way as our first child. We had just bought our first home, and the economy was doing weird things. Sound familiar? And I was like lamenting, if you've ever heard that word. I was complaining to God. I was like, God, I got a new wife. I'm a new husband. I just got a new job. There's a new house with a house payment, and this whole thing called an escrow I've never heard of, and I don't know how that works, and I got a kid on the way. I don't even know how bad I'm going to screw that kid up because I've never raised kids, didn't have the greatest home life, like, and I'm just letting him have it. You ever been there? I'm only having it while he is. I am the wrong person in this season to be doing all this stuff. And um, I didn't hear an audible voice, but when you hear the Holy Spirit, he is so sharp. And he speaks in a stillness. It's hard to describe until you experience it. But he will pierce your mind in a way that you go, that was not me. His voice is very different than my voice. Because I'm complaining. And I'm complaining pretty good. And then all of a sudden, in my mind, like a spear, I hear, if you lost everything and you had me, would you not have everything? And I'm like, oh. And I received that and had peace about everything else after that during the prelude of the service. Nobody else knew what was going on. I'm like crying. Organist is playing. They're like, what's wrong with him? You know, and I'm crying. I'm like, God, I just encountered God in a very real living way. And, and what I realized was everything I was explaining to God was about how I was going to fail and it was all about me. It was all focused on my situation in my world and none of it was focused on him. And that's when he said that through the Spirit and he pierced my heart. I went, oh, it really isn't about me. It's about what you want to do in me and in my life and in my family and in my kids and in my work. And that's what happens when you let faith shift your focus. So focus might shape your faith, but what we have to learn to do through faith is let faith shift our focus. Our faith can radically shift how we perceive and look at the world around us. And that is so foundational to the Christian journey, and we've lost it, and it's why we feel overwhelmed. It's why we feel like we're going to sink, because that stuff in life is real. It's going to happen. But your faith can frame it in such a different way. In 1132, it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, and they said, Truly you are the Son of God. Did you see it? Their focus shifted because of their faith. And when that happened, things began to happen differently in the apostles' lives. Let your faith shift your focus. If your circumstances are crazy right now, let me ask you a question. Are you allowing Christ to abide in love within the circumstance? Have you invited him into it? Because until you invite him into it, you can't see what he's about to do. What if your grief is crippling you? I know a lot of people get stuck in the cycle of grief. Have you ever looked at the promise of eternal life? I love that in Corinthians it says, we do not grieve as the world grieves. Do you remember that passage? 
for we grieve with hope. For we know with certainty that we'll see the person again. We know for certainty that God can save us and deliver us into the next life. What if your finances are just like, ugh, right? You do realize that Jesus has actually promised in the New Testament to meet every single need. Not every greed, every need, okay? He will meet it through his church family, through his people, and through divine circumstances. I was talking to a brother just this week who said, yeah, I got that whole Holy Spirit thing hit me, and I felt God say tithe. If you've never heard of that, he said, I'm going to give that whole 10% thing by faith, but I can't afford it. Literally, the dude wrote the check, and he got one double the very next day in a job. It's not about money, by the way. Don't hear that. What that's about is faith. It's about Faith. If God speaks it and you can hear through the Spirit, you should respond by faith. What about your family? I don't know if you ever realized this, but Jesus had a crappy family situation. Did you realize that? His own family didn't believe in him. Okay? His own uh, mom said he was a lunatic. You got that one in the New Testament. Okay? He's got some situations where you just go, whew, I thought I had it bad. Look at his life. But what's interesting was once his family shifted their focus for him not just being a son, not just being a brother, not just being a sibling, and they got the fact that he was actually God in the flesh and had been raised from the dead, their whole situation changed. And I think Jesus knows that's true of our family. Your family, whatever you're going through, it's actually not about their illness. It's not about their mental mentality. It's not about, it's not about any of that stuff. I don't know if you figured this out yet. You think it's about those things, but what it's really about is do they have saving faith in who Jesus is? Because when they do, it'll shift their focus. It'll shift their heart. And that's what's really wrong with our families. It's not what we think is wrong with them. It's a faith problem. It almost always is a faith problem. What about people that have a difficult time? Like, what do I actually do with this? Like, how do I, how do I actually put this? Like, give me some real meat, okay? Give me some tangible things. Well, in the world we live in, how often do you think someone attends church? Give me your guess. How often does somebody even come to church to hear a word from the Lord that might impact their life? How often do you think the average American comes to church? Once, twice. It's, it's, it's one and a half. It's kind of interesting, which I told a brother that, uh, who I, I know, and he says, I make it here twice a month. I'm an overachiever. It's so, <laughs> so one and a half. So, so here's something that actually could form your faith and change your focus. What if you made a commitment to actually attending church more regular? Why? So you can hear the word of God encourage you and shape your perspective. What about the gospel and its centrality, the good news and the centrality of the church. What if you began to shift your focus from churches about what I hear to my receiving of this good news of what Jesus has done so I might share it with somebody else? How much would your situation change if during the week you're thinking all the time, who am I going to share this good news with? Who do I need to pray for? Who do I need to love on? And you begin to shift in that way, and the gospel was central to that. Uh, Susan, a few weeks ago, told me she was hanging out with the kids in the back, and she said one of the kids, um, two of them actually, looked at her and said, hey, we hear about prayer, but we don't get to do prayer a lot. Can you teach us how to pray? What if your mindset begins to shift to the people around you that need equipping on how to pray, how to serve, 
how to walk in their faith. As that begins to shift, what would that do? What if you made the hang time with God a priority? That every day I'm going to read his word and I'm going to spend time in prayer. And that's going to be the most important thing I do every day. What if your faith shifted to that point? What would happen to your focus during the day? How would you look at the trials and the issues that come your way when you're actually grounded in God's word and you've heard God's voice that morning, like in Proverbs? Maybe you might respond like these two people did. These responded in our devotion. Listen to these two responses. We're doing Proverbs, by the way, as a, a quiet time as a church. Become wise by walking with the wise. I'm never the smartest person in the room. However, I have made it a habit of hanging around the smart ones. And it is amazing what you can learn just listening and being present. I came out of the devotion yesterday. How cool is that? That their perspective on wisdom is shifting with humility. This person wrote, more wise instruction comparing and contrasting godliness versus ungodliness on themselves um, like the work ethic, honesty, and discipline. I read these at least twice. Imagine how Solomon or, or any of the other contributors to these could possibly generate and compile all of these scenarios. This person wrote that as a part of, the, of our quiet time last week. I wonder how their day went after that perspective dawned on them as they read God's word. That's why the hang time is so important. What if you, and you, when you gather with other Christians, whether it's for coffee or ministry or in growth group or recovery group, when you hang with them, you start to say, hey, can you give me the win for this week? Can you tell me one thing God shared with you in his word? Can you tell me one thing you're wrestling with I can pray for? What if your focus begins to shift that way? How would that impact the relationships? What if you actually did that to your family? Oh, what if you called up the person who irritates you the most and said, hey, man, hey, gal, I just want to pray for you, and if you'll give me one way to pray for you, no strings attached, I'll pray for that this week. What would happen differently with that family member as your faith shifts your focus and maybe impacts their faith? How can you make time to do all these things? You ever think about that? That's why we do this class coming up on February the 5th, 1 p.m., Giving with Grace. We help you learn to balance those things. If you haven't signed up for that, it's on the back of your bulletin. Very tangible way that will help you work through that. And then maybe the thing is, you just need to really anchor in the ground the storms of life, because I haven't even hit maybe the biggest storm you're walking through. Here's one last thought for you. Following Jesus really is a singular focus. At the end of the day, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're dealing with, whatever is hitting you, I guarantee you, as you shift your focus to Jesus, it will shift your focus on the issue. I'm not saying it'll fix it. I'm not saying Jesus is a magic pill, but I guarantee you this. He will change your focus and give you thoughts and ideas about that. As a church family, we're always looking for tools to help you in our church. Uh, recently, uh, we had um, an organization approach us that was a pretty good organization through a partnership with our um, convention. So if you don't know, we are part of a whole bunch of churches, about four to 500 churches across a two-state convention in Maryland, Delaware. And uh, part of that, they said, hey, we want to help your church deal with some of the difficulties and strife of life. And we want to help them to be able to have a focus on faith when they're going through difficult situations. And so we actually began a partnership about two, three weeks ago with an organization called Right Now Media. Now, why do we do it? We did it because 
uh, for a very inexpensive amount, we're able to then distribute all of their content to every single attender of grace. And their content is unbelievable. It's just really good biblical content. I want you to watch a video about it, and then I want to connect that briefly to how this might be a way to respond to today's message and how you may be able to work through and get your focus shifted from where you are possibly to Christ. So watch this video. So I, I know you get spammed all the time. If you're like me, I get like thousands of stupid emails a day, okay? So the reason I wanted to bring this up in uh, the church uh, service is I want you to know, you've already, if you've uh, given us your email, you've already actually received an invite to this. And we wanted to make sure we give it to every single attender of the church. I was blown away with their generosity as an organization. Um, they didn't care if the person was a member, regular attender, guest. If they were in our database they said, you can give this content to them. And it was very inexpensive. I was blown away as our team looked at it. It's less than we spend in half what we normally spend on discipleship materials as a church. So um, we want to make sure you get this. And so you'll see up here on the screen, I'll hold this up for a little bit for those of you that are tech savvy. Um, if you haven't gotten it and want to get it, you can text GRACE for sure to uh, 49775 and they'll download the app and you'll set it up or if you're real tech savvy you can scan the QR code and I got a few of these I don't have enough time to print a lot of them yet but I print a few of these that'll be at the gather grow desk and um, I and Tony who is our director of discipleship wherever he's hiding now uh, will be back there to help connect you to this Um, I know some of you hate technology (laughs) you abhor technology Um, the other reason we wanted to do this is we'll help you connect with us now why am I doing this Um, let's say you're someone um, who served in our military. I'm one of those folks. Let's say you're a combat veteran. I didn't have to do that to serve in the military. Let's say you're dealing with PTSD. When I did a PTSD search inside the software, no more than 10 videos to help people with PTSD came out that were biblically based. I did a search for anxiety, and there were countless videos that popped up that you can actually then watch to help you in your anxiety. There was one for depression, there's one for marriage. There is premarital material that we're using actually with people about to get married at our church. So all of this is at no cost to you. It's part of just the privilege of being able to be one church family doing this together. So we want to get that in your hands. And so this is one of the ways I think you can respond. So how can you shift your focus? A lot of times you don't know how to. Well, you put in what the issue is. We'll show you how to do that. And maybe there's some video content that you can watch that might drive you to greater biblical understanding and greater scriptures. Does that help? And it's pretty awesome. I can't wait. So if you're a Bible study person um, and you're looking for your next Bible study, uh, countless, countless, countless Bible studies. And if you're a person that says, I can never find time, they have virtual hangouts for Bible study where you initiate the Bible study and you can initiate it virtually with your whole group and watch it together. So a lot of different resources available this. We wanted to get it out to you. I want to pray for you, and then um, I'm going to ask Kevin to come and do something unique as we get ready to be dismissed. Uh, Kevin's going to come, and he's going to pray a passage over you. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but he wants to pray a very famous passage over you to just bless you as you begin to move out into the foundation that God's going to have you set 